0: Hey, good morning, Harvest. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to Exodus chapter 17. And as you're turning there, yes, it is true, I shaved my beard. The reviews are mixed, so uh, maybe next week I'll have grown it back. All right, I, we'll see what happens. I, I don't know. Hey, as you're, as you're going to Exodus 17, I, I don't know if you've noticed as we're tracking through this series together, I mean, I've heard so many of you respond to saying this, that, that as the story of Exodus is unfolded, it's, it's really a story about us. I mean, when you, when you don't just read Scripture, but you let Scripture read you, it reveals some things. And so far, this series in Exodus has been hammering this one clear point that I know who I worship. For real, I know who I worship and how I handle life's trials. And, and so so here we are, we're hitting this next chapter here, chapter 17. And, and if this was a Hallmark movie, what would happen? They would have been set free. They would have had that whole water thing, manna from heaven, and then they'd just be walking into the promised land now, hand in hand. If it was a Hallmark movie, it would be Christmas as they're walking into the promised land. But we know that it's not a Hallmark movie. We know that life doesn't work that way. And so in the trials of life, in the tests of life, just like we're going to see here, the Israelites, just like our lives... They find out who they actually really worship. Trials will will either create in us a a heart that's more tender, that's more compassionate, that's more loving, or or our trials, our difficulties, will will create a harder heart, an anxious heart, defensive, bitter, sad. and, And the difference between those two hearts in a season of trials is what we worship. When we look to God and we see him as bigger and we're smaller, we become more humble, more dependent on him. We, we even become more faith-filled, joy-filled in the midst of the trial. Or, or we look to ourselves and see ourselves as bigger in the trial, God as smaller, and we become harder, self-absorbed, full of self-pity. So, so, so where do we go then? How, how do we steer our heart in the right direction? Where do we go for our hope? What we're going to see this morning is we need to have a solid foundation under us, and we need a sure victory going on before us. We need the sure hope of a, a rock and a banner, a foundation and a victory. So if you've got your Bibles, open to Exodus chapter 17, just starting in verse 1. Just a few verses as we jump into here. It says this And said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me, he says. Now here again, it doesn't seem like, man, different day, same story. No water, they grumble and complain. They shake their fist at Moses and at God. You would think that somebody in this crowd would would say, wait a minute, hold on, guys. We've seen this before. We've been thirsty. We've been hungry. Last time we were thirsty, Moses threw a stick in the water and it became great water to drink. Last time we were hungry, I mean, God started to rain down frosted flakes from heaven. It was amazing. So so you would think that in this moment, in this trial, there would be people that would be saying this, man, are you getting thirsty? Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. I don't see any water anywhere. I can't wait to see what God's gonna do. But again, what do they do? They see the trial, they they see God as small, themselves as big, and it shapes them, and their hearts grow hard, despairing. Actually, their hearts even grow angry in this moment. In fact, Psalm 106 verse 13 says this. It goes through all the things that God did in Psalm 106, how he parted the sea, he did all of this, but soon it says they forgot his works and they did not wait for his counsel. I mean, think, think about what's going on here in this moment. I mean, it would be a little bit like this. You walk into the kitchen, and, and your mom or, or your wife or your husband, someone's in the kitchen, and they're cooking up this amazing meal. There's pots everywhere. Things are cooking. The stove is, is on and heated up. They're in an apron, flour in their hair. And you walk into that situation, and you say, is anybody going to make us dinner? They had seen God at work, God providing every day for them, food to eat, and this new trial hits. And it could have taken them to a a deep, dependent, humble place of hope-filled prayer, but instead they forgot God's works, and they didn't wait for his counsel. They rushed into grumbling and complaining and quarreling. Listen, trials can move you so fast. They can, they can move you because, why? Because waiting and trusting on the Lord is hard work. We want to rise up. Now, Moses is in trouble here. He, 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 he knows that they're not really angry with him, but they're angry with God. But Moses asks God, hey, God, what are we going to do with this people? I mean, they're almost ready to stone me, he says. What am I going to do with these people? His patience is done. He's at his end. And it's here when, when Moses says, What am I going to do? I can't do this anymore. This is where we see something amazing about God. Moses is done, but God's not. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5 and 6. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Moses says, I'm done. And God says, let's take care of them. His patience goes so much further than we could ever imagine. His grace runs so much deeper. Moses is saying, God, these people don't trust you. They they have disdain for you. They want to kill me. They deserve rejection. God, God, they don't want us. Let's abandon them. God says, okay, Moses, let's take care of their needs. Let's love them. Let's care for them. I mean, this is crazy grace. People who should be rejected, people who deserve to be judged, but instead of rejecting them, God serves them. God meets their needs. Listen, we would be so much more calm, so much more confident in the wilderness. We, we would have so much more peace in our problems if we saw this big picture of God. If, if, if we truly saw his grace and his patience on display. If we knew that this was the God who called you and led you into the wilderness. I mean, every week doesn't seem like it's the same story in Exodus. The people of God come into a terrible situation and God gives them what they need. They need to be set free and God sets them free. They need to be fed and God feeds them. They need to be defended and God defends them. They need to be saved and God rescues them over and over and over again. Just 40, 50 times over. Just this happens again and again and again. And then then after the 51st time, you think at that time, they would say, man, I know my God. We're good. God's got this. No, after 50 times in a row of God being faithful, they get into a situation that's really bad. And what do they say? They say, you can't trust this God. And this God's never around when you need him. He always lets me down. What's he up to? I don't know about you, but you come to the book of as I do it. And I look at this and my thought is this, man, what a bunch of doughheads." I mean, no group of people could be this ridiculously slow. I mean, why aren't they relaxed? Why aren't they looking at their situation and say, man, uh, uh, let's see what God does because he's never let us down before. Now, we can read this text and we can think, man, they are so blind. Why are they doubting the one who provides? Now, we can say that. Why? Because we stand in a higher place. Because we have a perspective that they don't we can see the whole picture while they're under the mess of the stress. When you're above the stress, when you're above the mess, you can see really clearly, but when you're underneath the trial, all you see is the trial. And here what's going on is the writer of Exodus is actually drawing us in. This has been happening to me over and over again in this series. I start out saying, man, you dummies, why don't you have more faith? And then slowly, I start looking around at my own life, my own heart. And it's like every time there's this aha moment where I'm like, wait a minute, this is actually a story about me. This is a picture of my life. It was a while ago, I was speaking at a men's conference and and while I was up preaching at this conference, one of the the sermons I was delivering, there was this phone going off the whole way through my message. There was like these texts coming in the bing, 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 right in the front row, just over and over again. And I'm thinking in my mind as I'm speaking, I'm like, man, why doesn't that moron turn off their phone? Why wouldn't they have silenced it before they came in? And I sit down after preaching and underneath my chair, there's my phone. My phone, not silenced, with a screen full of unanswered texts. And, and the dude beside me gives me that look. He looks over and goes, yeah, that, that, that was totally you, man. And so, so we're reading this in Exodus, and we're thinking in our minds, man, why are these guys so faithless? Why are they so fearful? Why are they so bitter and angry, so worried, so untrusting? Why are they so trying to do life on their own? Why are they so filled with pride, and God gently looks over at you and me? And he goes, yeah, 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 that's totally you. And it causes us to to step out from from the chaos that we're in and to start saying, man, I need a bigger view too. Because my perspective, your perspective, our perspective is, is, is most often skewed. And so what do we do? We start digging into the word to get a better view. We need a higher view. In fact, what do we see here? What we're about to see is that God's about to... Produce for us, give us a rock that we can stand on, a rock of God's grace. And and all the failures, all the criticisms that that we carry with us, all the labels, all the scars, all the trials we may even be in right now, they, they, they blind our view. But by standing on this rock of grace, we get to come up above that. We to see this theme in our lives are not those things, but the theme in our lives is the patience and the care of a gracious, loving God. I mean, do you see that? I mean, the the more I see that, the more I relax. The the more I meditate on, on that, the more my heart rests. And so in the short time we have this morning, let's take a look at this grace of God. I mean, you see here in verse 2, you see here, therefore the people quarreled with Moses. And they said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? You see what's happening here? They go from last week grumbling and complaining, just kind of speaking words. And now it's kind of amped up a bit. Now they're quarreling. It doesn't mean they were just fighting. For sure, it's more than complaining, but there's a, there is an action to this word, but it literally means this. It means they're bringing a charge against. There's this, this legal aspect to the word in, in, in Hebrew, and, and it's saying to Moses, man, we got a charge against you and against God. It's why Moses says in verse four, why he says, God, they're gonna stone me. Moses isn't saying, oh, they're so mad, man. They're about to beat me up for this. No, no, to stone someone, that's judgment being taken out. They're saying, this is our charge against you, and here's the just punishment for your guilt. I mean, Moses asks, why are you testing the Lord? Why why are you bringing a charge against God? Why are you accusing God? And once again, what's going on here, their needs aren't being met. And so now do they not just not trust God, they now blame God. It's like this, they're calling God into the courtroom. Okay, God, you stand before this court guilty of the following charges. And what are they? Verse 2, give us water to drink. God, we're charging you with neglect. You're not going to provide for us. Look at verse 3. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt, they say? They questioned the, the wisdom that God would do this. They're saying, God, God, you're guilty of negligence. Well, what are you doing in this? They go further. They say, in verse three, you brought us out to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. He's saying, God, God, we're accusing you of attempted murder. Look down at verse seven. Here's the question they're asking, and really they're accusing God of abandoning them. They said, is the Lord among us or not? That's what they're testing the Lord. They're, they're bringing an accusation. God, we doubt your very presence in this. All it took was a lack of water. And, and despite all that God's done, everything they had seen, they doubted whether he was even in their midst. So what does God do? As it says in Psalm 97, that they, they even though they saw all of God's works, their, their hearts were hardened in this place. So what does God do? God says to Moses, here's what you're gonna do. Verse five, he says, go get the elders. Go take the elders with you. Now when he says, grab the elders, what's he saying? Go get some witnesses for this trial. They want a trial, we're gonna have a trial. And, and then he says, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. Take this staff. Now what's the staff represent? All the way through Acts, it, it represents this, this justice of God. This instrument that God used to, to meet out perfect divine justice. So here comes Moses with witnesses and justice. Now, you can imagine yourself as an Israelite. Moses now coming back after they say, we wanna bring God to court. We wanna bring you to court. And now here comes Moses with the elders and with the staff. They've seen what the staff can do. And they're, they're, he's walking toward the people. How scary would it be? In that moment, you have this sinking feeling of, man, I think I messed this up. I just called God, the creator of the universe, into the courtroom. And, and now I'm starting to realize that when all the evidence is given, I think I'm dead but Moses walks right past them. Like, okay, okay, Moses, you're not on trial um, because you're carrying the rod and and, and we're not on trial. You walked past us, so, so who's on trial? What's God say in verse six? He says, behold, I will stand before you. God's saying, I'm the one who's gonna stand on trial. I'm the one who's gonna stand before you. Because you you, you you stand before a king. You stand before a judge. And, and here's God, the creator. He is the king. He is the judge. And he says, I'll stand before you. I'll take the lower position. I'll stand as the accused. And then God says, strike the rock. Bring down judgment on me. And Exodus 17 should blow us away. That God in his infinite mercy and grace says, I'll take the judgment. And listen, this is not just for God's people here in this story. This is not just something that happened all that long time ago. This is not just about thirsty Israelites in the wilderness. Listen, because Paul says, when he's writing in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, let me give you the amazing reality of what this all points to. Paul in Corinthians gives us a commentary on Exodus so we know what is really happening here. And he says this, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers who are all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses. What does it mean to say baptized? All were, were united with him in the cloud and the sea and all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Paul's saying this, Exodus was written down for you and me to get a proper understanding of, of who God is and how God works out our salvation. That this story and Exodus all pointing to the cross, where Christ took our punishment for our sin to, to do what? To give us the water of, of eternal life. This Exodus is not a history lesson to learn about a bunch of people so many thousands of years ago. No, it points us to today. How does God deal with us? And and what it should do is is fill our hearts with joy and gratitude. I mean, I don't have to save myself because we can never obey enough. But in our sin, in our rebellion, in our disobedience, God still works out our salvation. I mean, this is such great news. Listen, this is the rock that you can stand up on and get a view above your circumstances, above the labels you wear, above the memories you can't seem to lose that stick with you, above the, the fears you have, above the mistakes you've made, above the trials you face. The good news on display here. I mean, for those who are watching this and you're exhausted. You're you're running this marathon every day trying to earn an assurance of your salvation, trying to work up something, try to atone for something that you can't atone for, trying to worry, just worry. Man, I don't know if God's going to come through here. The good news here is there's nothing you can do or say to earn God's affection for you. And Don't blow past this because we talk about it every Sunday that this truth we're seeing here, that dirty and sinful and broken and rebellious as we are, God is crazy about you. That by his grace, he chooses to set his love on you. And, And you can't grow his love for you because listen, his love is based on his character, on his promise. And so what do we do? In the trials, we look to the rock, the rock that was struck down, the rock that was judged so that we could have living water. As we look to that rock, it means we can do this. We can, we can, ah. we can stand on this rock of grace, not our efforts, not our record. that Jesus and Jesus alone has atoned once and for all so that, that we can come to this place where we no longer have to fret, no longer have to strive, but instead we can rest and we can worship. I mean, think about all the places we go looking for water for our souls and we come up thirsty every time. Jesus calls out from the cross. Jesus says, I thirst. He takes on this, this thirst so that we don't have to. So that this water now pours out from that rock for us so that when Jesus says, hey, come and drink of this water, he's saying, listen, when you're in the wilderness... Look at the cross. See me being struck down for you and blood and water coming out. And he's doing this for you. That that he said, I'll lose everything so I don't lose you. And you're in the wilderness. Listen, that's what you can look to. Thank you, Jesus, that that you are the one who was busted up so that I didn't have to, so that I could drink salvation. On the cross, you were beaten. On the cross, you were broken. On the cross, you were bruised so that your blood would flow. Your grace would cover me and make me white as snow so that I can stand on that rock of salvation. And if you look at that, if you see what he's done for you, I mean, reflect on it, rejoice in it, meditate on it. You can get through anything. Go to that rock. Drink from that rock in the desert. We have to start there. Why? Why? Because we know that trials are coming. I mean, you can see right away what happens to the people of Israel, what happens right away. They, they leave this beautiful picture, this place of God's grace, and immediately what happens, look at verse 8 of chapter 17. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. That right away, right away, trials come. Attacked by the the Amalekites. <laughs> Amalek, the Amalekites, they see this ragtag bunch of newly released slaves, and they think, what an opportunity. Easy pickings. We can kill them, we can take all their stuff. And they move in to say, we're taking these people out. It says this. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of a hill with the staff of God in my hand. That says, he says, Moses said to Joshua, we're not introduced to Joshua. The, the readers, the original readers of Exodus would already have an idea of who this Joshua was. They didn't need an introduction. So, so Joshua grabs these men to go defend the people. You gotta understand something. These are not military men. These are released slaves. They, they, they don't have an arsenal of weapons. They don't have a, a, a history of how to fight. Picture an army against a group of farmers. That's what's going on here. This is an unfair fight, but Moses has something. I'm going to go with the staff of God in my hand. The staff of what? God's justice and God's power, right? goes on, verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever, whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. And hey, here's what's going on here, right? Imagine yourself on the the field of of battle. You you would probably start to see what's going on here. Like whenever Moses raises his arm and he has the the staff of God's justice raised up, they're like, attack, we can take them. And then his hand lowers, retreat, run away. It's only the staff that changes the battle. Without it, the Israelites are done for. Now, now Aaron and her, they see this. Moses gets tired. And do They say, hey, Moses, come over here, man. Come over here. And when you grow weary, he, they, they took a stone, they put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. You got to notice something in this whole scene here. Very little is talked about the battle. Most of the attention is going up to on top of this hill. The focus is on the raised staff of God. So, so it's clear to everyone that this battle was not won by Moses' efforts. This battle was not won because Aaron and her stepped in. This battle was won by God's power. And so God says, I want you to remember this. Look down at verse 15. So Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. That phrase there, the Lord is my banner, it, it seems weird to our modern ears. Why is that a big deal? God's a banner? here's what a banner is. It's a flag that you fly to claim victory. You plant a flag in the ground, a banner in the ground, and you say, this is it. We've won the battle. God's saying, I am that for you. I am your victory. And so what do we do? We stand on the rock of grace, and listen, we fight our battles under the flag of the victory of God. And what does that mean for us practically? Well, as we wrap up this morning, it means this. First, I fight we fight. We, we can't just lay back and go, okay, I got this rock of grace. I'm just going to cruise now. It's the rock of my salvation. Let's just sit back and, man, we're into heaven. Listen, listen th- that's the promised land. We're not there yet. We're still in the wilderness as we await the promised land. There is still a battle. I still fight now. I don't fight for my salvation. You don't fight for that. That, that battle's been won. You see in Exodus the picture where God said stand back at the Red Sea. You guys just stand back. I'll show you what I'm going to do. They didn't lift a finger and God won their victory. Your salvation, your your standing before God is by God's grace alone. But we walk out this journey. Our sanctification, being made more like Jesus, we walk that out with weapons of grace as we fight, with, with the weapon of God's word, with the weapon of prayer. I mean, we're called in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the whole armor of God, to wrestle, to fight, to fight sin and temptation and our flesh and the devil. And listen, this battle is not easy. It says that, that, that Moses was so tired he had to sit down. This thing went on for hours. It said later that night, like the battle had been won. This, this thing went on. It was a long fight and spiritual warfare is no different. This is why we need each other. Moses got tired. The the victory was God's, but, but, but Moses needed Aaron and her around him. You and I, because of our weaknesses. Listen, we need each other to fight these battles, to fight sin, to fight the flesh, to fight the devil. Listen, I'm certain that even right now, there are some of you who are sitting there watching right now and you're tired. And you're thinking, I don't know how much longer I can keep my arms up in this battle. And and the season has been hard for you. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's parenting. I mean, this has not been an easy season for a lot of parents. Even even doing this, even sitting down to to worship together can be a, a challenge for many. Maybe it's relationships, maybe it's sin, maybe it's self-doubt, maybe it's just a struggle you're in and you don't know how much longer you can keep your arms raised up and you're tired. Your soul is weary. And it seems like the same battle every day. And some days you find victory, some days you feel defeat. Listen, listen, here's the good news. The church was designed by God to be the place where you humbly acknowledge, I can't keep my arms up any longer." And those who care about you come to your side and they say, here's a stone to sit on. They gather around you to encourage you, to pray for you, to pray with you. And then listen, the most important thing we do in that moment as we come alongside of each other and what we do for each other is say, hey, hey, let me point you to the rock to stand on to get a better view. Hey, let me point you to the banner of victory you have over you. So listen, if, if your arms are tired, if your soul is weary, there's simply no better place for you to be than here. Than, than, than gathered in worship, than, than being a part of a church. Because everything we do as a church is to point you to the rock and to the banner. When you, when you roll into church or are now in this season, as you as you just kind of saddle up around your TV or your computer. You, you gather together, listen, as sinners in need of grace. Those who are weary, who need victory. And so what do we do? We sing worship. Why? Why? To lift our eyes to the rock and the banner. It, it's like Eric coming alongside you in that moment, and Pastor Eric saying, let me lift up your hands for you as he calls you to worship. It's it's what I'm trying to do every single Sunday as we open God's Word and to say, hey, let me lift up your hands and point you to the rock and to the banner. It's it's why we gather in small groups still, even in the midst of this this whole physical distancing thing. We're not going to socially distance. We're not going to spiritually distance ourselves from each other, but still gathered in small groups over Zoom. And man, the, the testimonies that are coming from these. If you're not in a small group, I would encourage you even now, click the link below, reach out, send an email to to us and say, how do I get into one of these small groups? Because it's people who are weary, gathering together to point each other to the rock and to the banner, to lift up each other's arms. But but here's the thing, here's the thing, it's so humbling to get to that place where you say we all need help. It's humbling to admit I can't keep my arms up by myself and so what do we need to do? Reach out. Don't let Satan convince you of a couple of lies he's so good at. Here's one lie. Hide it. Don't let anybody know about it. Don't tell people your struggles. You know what they'll think? Don't listen to that lie. Reach out. We're all broken. We're all needy. We're all weak. Here's another lie. Here's another lie. Man, if they really loved you, they would reach out to you. No, no, no. Take that move of of humility to go, I need help. And then some days you're going to be Moses, and some days you're going to be Aaron. Some days you're going to be the one whose arms are raised up and you're raising others' arms up. And some days you're going to be one who needs someone to come alongside you to hold you up. And here's the great thing about seeing the rock of our salvation and the banner of victory in those moments. You can hold someone's arms up because, listen, listen, you're not the rock of salvation. I'm not the banner of victory. I don't need to solve or win the battle. I'm in just as much need as anybody else when you come alongside somebody. But listen, maybe today, maybe today you see the rock more clearly. Maybe today you see the banner more clearly and you can come alongside someone to raise their arms. And so we recognize we're all weak warriors. We're all wounded healers. We're all pointing each other to the rock and the banner of Christ. So let me close with this the greatest news for anyone with weary arms. There was somebody greater than Moses who came. There was a better mediator. But all of this, the rock and the banner, point to Jesus. He's the one who doesn't need anyone's help to hold up his hands. Instead, he's always faithful to hold them up and always faithful to hold up our weary hands. I love how it says in in the book of Hebrews that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to make intercession for them. He's the Moses saying, I'm gonna raise up this staff of justice and power in your place. And this is so much greater than just some hill in the desert. This is so much greater than just a story about a guy named Moses. Listen, this is the son of God, the son of God who is seated on the throne of God, praying for the people of God. I mean, I cannot wait to get to heaven to get the ultimate perspective that we're looking for right now. We'll be able to say, Jesus, would you show me my life? And you'll be able to look back and be able to see how much we owe to him, all the ways that he's led, all the ways that he's protected and provided. We'll be able to see those nail-scarred hands that that he alone held up and never took down. if you know Christ this morning, you're held up by these hands, strengthened by these hands, and guaranteed by grace. Listen, you will persevere and prevail because of him and all for his glory if you don't know this Christ, if, if you have never come to this rock of salvation, never come to a place where you say, I need this, I need you, Jesus, I can't do this, my arms cannot be lifted up, then even right now, even right where you are listening right now, to take this moment, say, Lord, I need you. I need the rock of your salvation. I need the banner of your victory. I'm lost and broken and sinful. I've accused you in the courtroom. God, I need you. And in that moment, in that moment, redeemed and saved and brought into the family of God so that in the journeys between now and when you meet Christ face to face, his hands lifting you up the entire way. So church, let's, let's look above our circumstances to see our rock and our banner. Let's point each other to the same thing. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word that draws our hearts into a place where we can see more clearly. God, right now, I pray for so many who are under the mess of the stress and the trials. God, God, that we would help each other, lift up each other's arms to see a rock of salvation and our banner of victory to be able to rest in knowing, God, you are a God who saves, who redeems, who leads, who guides, who heals. God, would you do a work even now? God, would you you grow us even now? God, would you bring people even now into this place of knowing you, God, that even this morning lives would be saved, changed, transformed? And I pray this for your glory and for your name, the name that is a banner over us and a rock beneath us. In Jesus' name, amen.